Many a 90s cartoon television series have received the feature film treatment to varying levels of success, and only a select few of those have managed to stand out above the crowd, quite like the topic of today's episode. A goofy movie premiered in theaters in spring of 1995, marking the first solo feature film appearance of this iconic Disney character known as Goofy. However, executives at Disney didn't quite see eye to eye on the film, and a lack of marketing push resulted in a disappointing box office return. But Garsh! Despite this, the film would eventually grow in popularity, reaching cult status as millennials of the 90s like myself brought their love for the film into their adulthood. Was it the relatable plot or the extremely catchy soundtrack? Who's to say? But for now, everybody mambo! As we ask the question, a goofy movie, what's it about? I'm your host, Ricardo <laughs> Boydias. Oh, God. And I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Yes, Seth. Wow, what an entrance you've made. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, Seth. I think you need to turn yourself down. <laughs> You're really loud. <laughs> That's as loud as I'll go. Okay. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing good. I just got off work. So, uh, and I like, um, so for just a little behind the scenes here, uh, we, we, we're doing two episodes this week because Seth's going to be a little bit busy next week. So yeah. we truncated by doing one, uh, by doing recording one podcast earlier this week and then one today. Uh, so doing all the research and things like that for this episode was just a little bit more rushed than usual. So I literally came home from work, wrote the intro, <laughs> and then jumped on with you. So yeah, this uh, is the fastest turnover we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I'm doing pretty great, and I'm excited because this is my pick today, and it's one of my favorite movies from growing up. This movie uh, is one that I come back to all the time. I, for a long time, had Powerline as my desktop image uh, on my laptop. I still have it, actually, on my old laptop that I have over here. It's, it is the, still the image. And then also, like, I have, like, little Powerline icons on my desktop as well for, like, different folders and things like yeah. that. Yeah. I feel like your personality has very been been very much molded by this movie. I said like, the same thing in my notes. I was like, yeah, "Wow, this movie's way yeah. more influential than I on my me than I thought." <laughs> yeah, I I think you think you're Max, like very very much so. I totally am Max. At least I relate to Max a lot because yeah. we'll get into why I relate to Max in particular. Max is a very particular archetype uh, that I think. Um, I'll, I'll give another more popular example of a little bit later, but I like this movie a lot. This movie was one of those uh, 90s Disney films before, like, you know, it was originally supposed to come out before Lion King, but then Lion King came out in 94. This film came out right after. So this film kind of like got forgotten in the, like the 90s renaissance of Disney. Um, but it's one of those underrated uh, looks uh, and movies that I think a lot of people my age have fallen in love with when they were kids and champion and have ever since. Um, and I really, really love this movie. It, I think it's funny. I think it's enjoyable. It does have really heart, good heartfelt moments. And the music is great. The music in this movie is really, really good. It's really fun. Um, uh, but, you know, it's just not one of those most popular ones that people, I think. No. Look I mean, at. I don't know. I think it's got way more of like a cult following. It has uh, way more. But it's, it's, you know, 
like I said, they just didn't put a lot of money into this like they did, like Lion You know, you can tell that this movie was made on the cheap, you know? People are diehard for this movie. Yeah. Like, there are there are some people that are like, this is their favorite Disney movie, you know? And uh, Sarah is one of them. Um, yes. Speaking of which, oh, we may have a cameo appearance from Ms. Fiddleholtz. Uh, yes. A little bit later, we'll have to see. So we'll let you guys know when uh, she may be coming on, uh, yeah, she'll, which is exciting. She'll be see? the she'll be our uh, <laughs> our expert. Uh, what what what? Uh, our Polly Shore. <laughs> Chair. <Hey>! <laughs> What's up, bro? Tower of Cheese. We love Bobby. That, Bobby's my favorite part of the movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he always has been. He's always <laughs> he's the best. He's a little weirdo. Uh, but let's get a little bit more in this movie. Seth, this is the first musical film that we've done on the show. Oh, yeah. Oh. I look. I look back just to double check this. We've had movies that have done like musical numbers in them and stuff like that, but this is the first film that's structured as an actual proper musical, where like it's like there's like the you know I want song. There's the um, you know, the opening number, which is like an ensemble piece there, you know, it goes through the structure oh, of a oops. musical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it actually goes through the structure as if it were a proper musical. So this is our first musical uh, film. Uh, what episode so number is this? Do this we know? is No Country for Old Man was 20. Risky Bins so is 21. 21. This, is 20, this is 22. Oh, 22. It's 22. Gotcha. Yeah. Number 22. Yeah. Um, so before we get into it, actually, Seth, real quick, I gotta know, like, what do you think of this movie? As far as, do you like it? What do you? Th- what is your opinion on the film? I have mixed feelings about a goofy movie. Um, I it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I'm not a diehard fan of it, like most people that are diehard fans. I I I, en- I, I think I enjoyed it the most I've ever enjoyed it watching it this time through. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to like gl- glean more from it than I had in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. The I think growing up, this movie made me uncomfortable. There was something about it that made me uncomfortable, and I think it was Goofy and Max's relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their complete like headbutting of personalities. Just like there was something about it always made me feel weird watching mm-hmm. it um but i think that's kind of like now now looking back I, I i might know why i i don't know but i i enjoyed the comedy more this time watching it through i think the other thing was it was growing up it was so predictable the plot line yeah is very very you gotta you gotta forget that you know what happens you know mm-hmm. what i mean like it's, it's such a streamlined film as in terms of like the plot is so predictable. Um, you know, you know where they're going. They're literally have it on a map. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, it's the ride, not the, it's not the destination. Exactly. Right? And that's, that's yeah. very traditional road trip structure road. If yeah. you, any road trip movie that you've ever seen is about that same idea. It's always, a, it's not about where they're going. It's always about what happens on the way there. That's what all yeah. road mo- trip movies are about. So if you take, you know, some of the most popular road trip movies you've ever seen, 
it's the same kind of thing. It's never about where they're going. That's just yeah. the the reason to go, but it's it's right. not what the story is about. But so. because Max didn't want to be on that trip, yeah. it made me feel weird the whole time watching it. Like, why do you think I, so? I, I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. I think that, that's more like personal. I think I think it it gets in touch with my own like feelings mm-hmm. about family and stuff. Um, but like. Yeah, I definitely. I I hated watching this movie in school. Like really? we would have, like, I got. I was so tired of it. Like, like growing up, this was the movie the teachers would pull out whenever whenever we needed to watch a movie. For some reason, they're just like, really? oh, put on the Goofy movie, and I, I just I, I watched it so many times. It was just one of those movies that I just got tired of, you know. And it's like I know what's going to happen. It, I, I found the plot to be so boring personally but but i have learned to appreciate it now like mm-hmm. i think we're looking back on it i don't i don't have like a uh, goofy movie feeling like i used to good but, okay that makes me happy yeah. i was yeah. gonna say because if you said you didn't like this movie we could no longer be friends i was just gonna i was no. gonna pull that out after you said you didn't like it and i was gonna say well that means this podcast is over <laughs> <laughs> no i i had the most appreciate I, I i appreciated the movie this time for what it what what i think it is mm-hmm. quite i liked it i liked it good uh that's so interesting that your you, you your schools would play it because i never had it played in school it was like one of our so um i grew up i had my mom's family lives in Cleveland, which, and we lived in like near St. Louis. So it was about like a 10 hour like trip. So like whenever we would go to Cleveland, we, you know, we had a nice like big van and you could hook up a, like a little TV, like to this van, like it had like a little electrical power source. So we would like put a little TV in like the little center console and hook up and bring a bunch of movies with us. And and the kids would be able to watch the movies in the back while, mom and dad drove and stuff like that so and this was like one of those movies that we were always bringing along with us um so i remember like whenever we were going to cleveland like a goofy movie was in the car with us and i was watching it so like it gives me very fond memories of my own road trips and things like that but it was the cool disney movie you yeah. know it was like it was like for teenagers you know yeah like, it is kind of like for like a more yeah. like like oh for kids who like maybe like are about to enter like high school or like a little bit younger than that like six six seventh graders are like watching goofy movie as opposed to like i don't yeah. know like uh like Five little mermaid seven year old yeah, yeah things like that um yeah. but it definitely is one of those for a while was one of those forgotten disney movies but before we get into exactly what we think the movie's about and what our personal feelings and our connections to it are, let's talk real quick about how it came to be. So, this film was directed by Kevin Lima. Uh, Kevin Lima uh, was a uh, a writer on Goof Troop, which was the '90s television series that uh, this was based uh, uh, a feature film like sequel of. Um, and this was his directorial debut uh, for that. Uh, Goofy Movie was his directorial debut. But he would go on to then direct Tarzan, 101 Dalmatians, Eloise at the Place, Eloise at Christmas Time, and Enchanted. Uh, but he hasn't directed anything since then. Mm-hmm. Um, this film was written by Jim Megan, uh, Chris Matheson, and Brian Primentel. Uh, 
this is it gets a little complicated uh, as far as like the way this movie was written because there was like a, some screenwriters that were on it, and then there were like some like story supervisors and things like that that got like writing credit. So it's kind of a little bit jarring or not jarring, a little bit hard to decipher exactly and jumbled as to who wrote the script. But uh, Jim Megan uh, wrote for a bunch of Disney television series such as Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, Darkwing Duck. Quack Pack. Oh, great theme songs. Great mm-hmm. theme songs, these. <laughs> and The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. He also wrote The All Dogs Go to Heaven, the series, and Archie's Weird Mysteries, and so many more that I couldn't even list here. And some other films that he wrote were Casper, A Spirited Beginning, Casper Meets Wendy, the first time I had been introduced to Hilary Duff. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and he wrote uh, The Secret of Nim 2 and the Tom Sawyer movie, which was really cool. Hmm. Yes. Chris Matheson, best known for being a part of the duo of Ed Sullivan and Chris Matheson, who wrote the three Bill and Ted movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he wrote Mr. Wrong. He wrote the DCOM stepsister from Planet Weird. He wrote Evil Alien Conquerors, the Eddie Murphy movie Imagine That, and Rapture Palooza with Anna Kendrick. Uh, and then oh. Brian Primantel, uh also, he's known more as a storyboard artist. Uh, he actually storyboarded it and created the Be Our Guest sequence of Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Pretty, pretty amazing. And he ended up being head of story on a Goofy movie and Tarzan. Uh, his only director credit is the direct-to-home uh, video sequel, Bambi 2, um, hmm. which he won an uh, ASIFA award for Best Non-Theatrical Animated Feature for that. And that's the International Animated Film Association's, like, their highest award for for that category. So pretty cool. So that's, that's cool. who created this. But let's talk about the story of how this movie actually kind of came into existence. The the whole messy – and it is messy. This I think this film is one of the most interesting uh, backstories that we might have had as far as like w- what exactly all happened to sh- kind of have it shake out and how it came to be where it is today. So okay. a Goofy movie is a feature film sequel to the Disney animated series Goof Troop which ran for 65 total episodes from 1992 to 1993. Now, the movie was originally developed as a TV special for the series, but was later shepherded into becoming a full feature by Disney Studios uh, by a big executive that actually saved Disney Studios in the early late 80s and early 90s, Jeffrey Katzenberg. He was head of the Disney Film Studios at the time, and he's responsible or is considered to be one of the main factors for their big renaissance in the late 80s and early 90s. He had his hands on, you know, all the classic Disney films that you think of, Lion King, Aladdin, Little Mermaid. He had a big hand in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, all kinds of things like that. He was responsible for uh, getting Miramax pulled into Disney. He was responsible for acquiring Pixar. So huge deal at Disney. Uh, and this was a passion project of his, uh, a Goofy movie. He really wanted to uh, tell a story that allowed Goofy to explore a more emotional side of the character without relying on his physical antics. And that would bring many uh, to show. Um, and he actually brought a lot of the voice actors from the show into the actual film. Um, however, uh, they did decide to set the film three years after the end of the show so they could age Max up to high school age, um, allowing them to explore more of that father-son relationship. However, trouble soon befell the project due to disputes between Disney CEO Michael Eisner, Roy E. Disney, and Katzenberg, where Katzenberg was eventually 
forced to resign from Disney in 1994. Basically, uh, Roy E. Disney, who's the nephew of Walt Disney, didn't like Katzenberg very much. Uh, thought Katzenberg was taking too much credit for like saving Disney, um, and they just uh, and Katzenberg wanted to be head head of the you know wanted to be president of Disney. Uh, basically, was the second in command under Eisner, and Roy Disney was like, no way, like no. So there was a big dispute there, and Katzenberg got forced out, and eventually uh, founded DreamWorks because of that. Um, but after Katzenberg left, uh, a goofy movie uh, kind of got pushed aside um since it was katzenberg's thing they kind of just like left it and there was no love for it with the remaining executives and uh they finished it on the cheap outsourcing most of it to other animation studios across the globe um there was a, a moment where a monitor error where uh they were capturing the animated cells had a single dead pixel in it while they were filming the movie so they had to reshoot two-thirds of it uh, wow. before they could release it. So it was originally supposed to come out in 94, but it ended up coming out in 95 instead. So that on top of Disney not marketing it because they just didn't care about it. They have even said that they only released it due to contractual obligations. Uh, wow. So the film uh, had a pretty disappointing opening. It opened against Michael Bay's Bad Boys, the first one. Um, it grossed only $37 million worldwide on an $18 million budget. So a pretty big disappointment as far as like Disney yeah. films go, especially at that time after the massive success of Lion King. Um, and that might've been the end for this film. If it wasn't for millennials who grew up loving the movie for its relatable themes and catchy music, especially things performed by Tevin Campbell, who was a big pop star at the time, uh, giving it a somewhat cult following. And by 2015, uh, by the time us millennials were full fledged adults, uh, we kept the love alive and eventually Disney did readopt the film realizing that there was a lot of money to be made from merchandising especially anything and everything that might be powerline um yeah. which brings us to today where many of us hold a goofy movie as one of disney's best lesser known underrated gems and let me tell you what a goofy journey that this film has been on yeah. um weird bizarre yeah strange it's uh yeah i mean I, it, I get I get how it went on that journey though like you know like you don't I don't think people know I don't, I don't I, if you surface level this movie isn't that great you know no. like it's it, it's it, but it there's some there's certain things in the film I think that really really resonate um well you know what's and, what's I think what you're hitting on here is like it it's not it's not that well made, right? right? Like the animation style is pretty generic. It 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 the music's good, but it's not anything like super amazing. Um the story is is very basic. It 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 definitely seems like this film was very cheap to make. Yeah. Like it feels cheap. And not in a not in a bad way, it just it, like it does not look as good as The Lion King. It does not look as good as Aladdin. It does not look as good as yeah any of that stuff. It just doesn't. They didn't put any effort as much effort into that this movie as they did those. And that it's just obvious in that way. But I think what's so nice about this film is it's it has a, such a an an earnestness to it. Yeah. Which makes it's it It's a very vulnerable film. Yeah. It's got like and I think maybe that's why a part of why I was uncomfortable watching it cuz it's not what I expected from it, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Like, I, it's a goofy movie. I wanted it to be funny, hilarious, mm-hmm. more goofy. You know, well, like, that's that was also some of the reviews at the time were pretty pretty mixed. And one of the things was older uh, critics, you know, pe- older people who grew up with Goofy being a particular kind of character, thought that this movie didn't use the character in the way they'd come to know him, you know, being the more of like the physical comedy, almost like a Chaplin esque or a Buster Keaton kind of character. Um, very clowny. Uh, and this was like, no, Goofy's a real, Goofy's a real person. He's, you know, he's a dad, he's a father. He's going to go through real stuff. And it, it was, I think a lot of people were like, Oh, like this movie didn't give Goofy what he deserved as far as like his movie. And I would argue it's not really Goofy's movie as much as it is Max's movie. Right. It's Max's movie. Um, but it, yeah, I think the, the reason I think this movie it connected maybe more with kids is because of the relatable and the nature and the earnestness and genuineness that the movie has that isn't being masked or disguised by like production value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which and I think is really cool. And Powerline – is also one of those things I think that just like got into the subconscious of kids. Like, mm-hmm. like there, he was so cool. There was something about Powerline that was very cool. And, and you know what's uh, crazy? He's only on screen, like only on screen for like five, six minutes at most. Like you yeah. see little clip, like yeah. you see mostly like cutouts and pictures of him, and every so often you'll see like little footage of him in the background. But him. As an actual person, is only on screen for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, but the, like, the mystique of that everybody talks about him—it's like, oh, he must be cool because everybody talks about him because he must—he must be yeah. awesome. Everybody um, remembers Power Powerline. Exactly. You know, like if you've ever seen Goofy movie, you remember Powerline. That's what you and, remember. And the character is designed in such an iconic way—the yellow, like the yellow jumpsuit and the, the like yeah. little like ice like Adam uh, logo, the hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's just got an iconic look for sure. Um, but yeah, man, what a, for such an unassuming movie as a goofy movie, what a, what a weird little history it has. I think this is one of the first films that we've, we've done on the show where we're getting into studio bureaucracy. You know, we've talked about like artists, artist bureaucracy and like casting or like different creative things as far as like the development of the stories. But this is the first time that we've talked about. What goes on in studios sometimes, and this happens actually more than you'd think, where, because because the way the studio system works is that there are people at the top, and they're honestly deciding on what gets made and what doesn't. Like, there there are younger producers that come up and they say, "Hey, I found this story," and they bring it to the higher ups, and then the higher ups bring it to the higher ups, and basically yeah. the person at the top is like, "Green light, we green light this, we don't green light that," and has all the say, and they have preferences they like more things more than like other things and so they have things that they push more that maybe people underneath them don't agree with yeah right it it really overwhelms me when i start to think about that stuff Mm -hmm. uh when it comes to filmmaking because it's like what's the point Mm -hmm. like if if you ever made a movie and then you start thinking about how like how to actually get your movie made it's the it's business, yeah. yeah. The actual business and bureaucracy of filmmaking is mind-boggling. So, like, there have been many, many times in history where a studio executive, a CEO, or you know, or a producer or a big producer at a studio gets fired or leaves or whatever, retires, 
and the person that steps up after them a lot of times will just shelve a whole bunch of projects in development that they just don't connect with and they don't like because that's that that was that person before them's stuff i don't really care about any of that and it happens all the time or things like this where it's like oh okay that movie's already done but i'm not going to put any more money into trying to make it big like it's we're just gonna put it out there because it's already done but i'm not gonna put any effort in, into marketing that because it's not my it's not my passion project it yeah. happens all the time and and you'd be surprised how many different movies that you probably know of that have been victim of this type of circumstance but this is the first one in this show that we've touched on which imagine is the imagine the power of those people you know <gasps> like Whoa! Hey! Speaking of power, the power here. She just came in from the heavens. Hey, hey Sarah! Everybody. Sarah Fiddleholtz has joined us. Hi, everybody! Hey! So we were, hey. Just, talk- we were just talking about Hollywood bureaucracy. Did you know <laughs> that this film was originally developed as a, a sequel to a Goof Troop? Uh, by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who then was pushed out of Disney because uh, Roy E. Disney, the nephew of Walt Disney, didn't like him very much. Uh, and when uh, Katzenberg left, they're like, well, we're not marketing this movie at all. Why would we do that? This is Katzenberg's movie. And so this movie kind of got got ki- kind of just kicked out of the nest and hope it could fly, and it didn't. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're talking about Hollywood well, bureaucracy. I loved it. Oh, Yes. We're talking about how our generation loves this movie. Sarah, what do you think of a, a goof troop? No, I'm saying a goofy movie. Well, I love this movie. Um, I It was always... Seth pointed out that it's probably my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. If it's not my favorite, it's one of them. Um, it's definitely just fun. It's funny. And Goofy's just lovable and a good good dad and a good person he is a good dad dog <laughs> dog person they call them dog faces <laughs> dog face characters in the disney anthropomorphic like dogs they call them dog faces but so sarah both seth and i kind of gave our history of like where we were introduced to this movie and why we feel the way we did or how we used to feel about it what was your introduction to this movie and like why is it one of your favorite films and why have you kind of like stuck with it over time um I don't remember. I I had the VHS, Mm. so I don't remember how it came to be. Mm. But there were like a few VHSs that I had and I always like watched over and over and over. Like Goofy Movie was one of those. I think Hunchback of Notre Dame was another Mm. one. Um, And I don't remember how it appeared. It just kind of like one day was there and I just loved it. Um. And I don't know. It, it's a timeless movie, I think. Like, recently I worked on a trailer for a new Amazon movie, Don't Make Me Go. Mm. And my first thought, it's about a dad who's, I guess, has sick with cancer of some sort or some, some illness. Uh, maybe potentially terminal. Mm. This is all in the ah. trailer, so I'm not giving so real no spoilers. spoilers. Because I'm not, I haven't seen the movie, but he has a teenage daughter and he wants to go on a road trip with her. As like maybe the last summer mm-hmm. he'll spend with her. Who knows? Um, yeah, 
he they end up going and it's like heartfelt mm. it's sweet i like the i like it the potential like double double meaning of don't make me go as in like don't make me go on this trip but also like i don't want to die you know like don't yeah. make don't make me go so it looks like a sweet heartfelt father daughter like kind film mm. uh but it definitely has like that goofy movie element. Like that was my first thought. I was like, this is just goofy movie. How dare they try and pass off, try and pass off this cancer movie as goofy. It's not goofy movie. <laughs> yeah. Goofy movie movie did it. Goofy first. movie did it so first. That, Everybody like, knows, knows that. <laughs> but I think what stuck sticks with everybody or like with anybody who's liked it is that it's timeless. It has that, like that parent child element of, your parents always going to be like, oh, embarrassing. Like, don't make me do this. Like, come on. But like, if you let yourself be vulnerable and like connect, you can find really beautiful things mm-hmm. and like common ground with your parent and with your child. So it kind of goes both ways. So I think for everybody, there's something to learn. Like if I were a parent, which I'm not yet, like I would want to be able to connect to my kids and understand mm-hmm. what they're actually going through. Yeah. And know that they're not going to be the same as me. Yes. So that has this like element. You're right. And it, I think it's beautiful. It's to- there, I, there's a universality to this film as far as like we, we when you grow up, you your parents don't ever seem to get you, right? It doesn't matter if you guys are have similar, you know, similarities. It doesn't matter if you guys have similar interests. Your parents just don't get you. Everybody, ha- I think a lot of people mm-hmm. feel that way. And this film hits that it hits it for the right age group. It's like, yeah, I do feel that way. Everybody connects with Max. Something I see this meme all the time on, on the internet about this movie. It's like when you're, when you're younger, you're like, come on, goofy, let Max stay. It's so important to him. Go to the concert. So important to your son. And then when you get older, it's Max, come on, go on this trip with your dad. It's so important to him. <laughs> it's you, you, the changing perspective of like over time is like, when you're a kid, you're you you're on Max's side because you're like, oh, like parents just don't get me, and they don't they don't know what's important. They ruin everything. And then as you get older, it's like, no, like, oh, connecting with your family is so important and special. There's time for that other stuff later, <laughs> you know. Well, and like being being your authentic self, no matter what other people might think. And I think the newer, the younger generations right now are way more in tune with mm-hmm. that than our generation was they're more like okay with being themselves being like different or looking in a way that's might not be the norm it's so interesting you know air quotes, is are but. they being themselves or are they branding themselves that's what that's the hard question you know uh is, are they yeah, really being their effective question. selves or are they finding a, a, a part of themselves that they then like accentuate and, and brand i think it's both Right. Like they have more freedom to, to be themselves, but at the same time, if you're totally yourself all the time, you're going to get in trouble. You're yeah. get, you're, like you're not, you're not, I, I tell this joke, uh, uh, someone told me to be myself and I wanted to punch them <laughs> <laughs> because like, like if I was myself in that moment, when you said like, I, and I, I punched you, that would not be okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But so I think there is this kind of like, uh, like you said, you, they find a part of their personality that's unique and then they accentuate it and make it helps them stand out. 
said mm. the old man, the 33 year old in the yeah. group. But how's, like, how's them stand out above the crowd, even yeah, if they got a yeah. shout out loud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, yes, we've already kind of started diving into what we think this film is about. So why don't we just go ahead and naturally start to move that direction? Um, just to, before we do that, we want to remind the listeners at home, if you have not watched a Goofy movie in a while or uh, you've never watched a Goofy movie, uh, we are going to be spoiling a lot of it. Uh, not that that's that important, but we are going to be spoiling much of it. Um, and here's a little refresher as to what it is. What is the actual plot and story of this film before we get into what it's actually about thematically? So. After Max gets into a little trouble at school trying to impress his crush, Goofy decides to take him fishing on a cross-country road trip to reestablish their relationship. All the while, Max is subtly trying to guide Goofy into taking him to a concert in L.A. instead. That is the story of a Goofy movie. If they just talked. I wrote that down too! I wrote down the same thing three times. I was like, talk to uh, your son. Yeah. <laughs> Ask him what's going on. <laughs> but but that's, I think, the whole point of this movie. And I think as a writer, something that you need to look at is, like, of course, it, of course, if he just asked him, hey, your principal called me. What's up? Like, what happened? Yeah. Like, this whole movie couldn't happen. But the thing of it is, neither of them are prepared to level with each other in that way. And that's like the whole yeah. point is like, of course, that's the right answer. Just talk to your son, talk to your dad. You know, of course that's the right answer, but they are not emotionally able to do it yet. Yeah. And the, they have to go on this trip in order to get to that point with each other, which makes this, I think movie while like a little bit pointless and like people like might say like, there's no reason they had to go on this trip at all. I think that emotionally they just, they were not able to do it yet. They, they just, yeah. You know, and we'll talk about thematically why I think that is, and like kind of what the movie's kind of trying to demonstrate here. Um, but since I picked this movie today, and we have a special guest, we have Sarah with us uh, who jumped in. Um, I'm going to ask the question, and uh, Sarah, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Um, so, Sarah and Seth, a goofy movie. What's it about? What's it about? Well, I think, like I already said. I do think it is a lot about like the parent child relationship mm -hmm. and <clears throat> finding common ground and being able to, I guess, spend time with people you love and try to understand them, like bridge that gap that I guess we all have with the other, which in this case is the parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it I totally am with you. This There's so much about, like we said, they don't understand each other. And this film is very clearly makes it and demonstrates like they could not be more different. And like they, it's almost like they're not even really talking to each other. They're not seeing how the other one feels at all, like ever. And it is, I think while this film definitely demonstrates the father-son dynamic really, really well, you can apply that same kind of idea to mother-daughter, best friends, you know, you can really apply that to any relationship that's struggling to, to connect with each other um, and understand each other. Um, Seth, what about you? How, how, what are you feeling? I think for me, the like strongest theme 
is the fear of the father. Like, mm-hmm. I think we all innately have this, like, like we all love our dads, but, but there's also a part of us that are a little bit fearful of our fathers. I think there's like an innate, um, maybe not for daughters. I don't know. I've never been a daughter. Um, but like for, as a son, it's like you, you, you love your dad, but you also are fearful of him in a weird way because you respect him. You don't want to, uh, do you, you don't want to like disappoint your dad, but at the same time you want to be yourself, you mm-hmm. know? And so, and also you don't necessarily want to become your father either. You know, like we see with Max at the beginning of the movie and his his dream sequence, like, like, <laughs> and like his teeth mm-hmm. and, you know, like, uh, I think, I think that's what the theme that this movie is exploring is like what it means to be afraid of your father and what it means to overcome that fear mm-hmm. of, 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 to be able to connect with your dad. You yeah. Know? And. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, that's so demonstrated in that opening. Like you said, that opening dream sequence, Max is, is we see Max running through a field of wheat. I was going to ask you, what do you think the significance of it being wheat is? Uh, I, I think, I mean, it's supposed to be like Greece or something. Like it's very like Grecian dream. And maybe she's his muse, you know, like, yeah. th- I, like, I thought there maybe was something with this because they're both wearing white too. He, they, they're also both yeah. like wearing white, which is like this idea of like purity. And so maybe I was like, maybe they're trying to like this, this idea of like wheat and flour. Like flour is very pure. Um, back when flour was like invented, they like used to say like fl- like the the uh, flour of the of the plant, flour of the wheat, uh, was like the best part. You know, so like it was like this like very pure product that was like yeah. revolutionary at the time. Um, but like, there's there's an idea of like wheat is very pure. It's very organic, um, in a lot of ways. But yeah, we see this Cronenbergian body horror sequence, basically, where Max is transformed into his father, uh, and obviously that freaks yeah. him out. And you're right there, and and again, I can't speak to. Also, I've never been a daughter either, uh, <laughs> um, but. I there are many traits about my dad that I admire very much, but there are also some traits that I don't very much don't admire. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I were to become exactly like him, I think that that I would be disappointed because you know the whole thing is we're supposed to be our own people and we're supposed to grow and we're supposed to you know the whole thing about parenting is like you want to raise your children to be even better than than you are, right? To be better yeah. people than than you you can be. And so the idea of becoming exactly like somebody both feels like a, a, a disappointment to yourself and probably feels would feel like a disappointment to them in a lot of ways not, i think some some not dads, some dads some, there's, yeah, there's some, some ego there's some ego that comes into yeah. play in there sometimes but i think to most dads i think a lot of them would prefer that their children have you know live better be more successful and you know rise above to the station that they are at yeah um, and so, I mean, you definitely see that a lot. It comes out in Max's laugh. He, he, you know, he has his little hooks every so often. And he, every time he does it, he completely just like closes his mouth and will run away and, and, and get upset at any time it happens. And 
it happens when he's not, you know, Max is like his dad when he's not thinking, mm-hmm. you know, when he lets his guard, when he lets down. His guard down, when he's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like when he, when he finds out that Roxanne will go to the party with him, mm-hmm. you know, and he's everybody mambo. Exactly. Is, I love yeah, that it's, line. It's like, he's being his dad. He's a goof, like in the literal sense of the word and in like the, that's his last name. And there's a couple of lines in like some of the songs and stuff like that, where he, you know, they use that double meaning of goof and goof, him being Max goof and him being like a a doofus. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. So like, you're right. Whenever he's like very free, he tends to be more like his dad than I think he would like to be. (laughs) We all are influenced. Max is cool. Max, you know, that, like, and that's what I wanted to bring up about. And you talked about how you think this film influenced me a lot. And this, there's a type of character that Max is embodying. And and once I lay it out, I think you'll be like, oh yeah, absolutely. Max is a type of character known that I like to call the cool loser. Um. So another character who's a cool loser is Marty McFly. From yeah. Back to the Future. I was gonna say exactly, that. Uh, and and what's funny is, I've never I looked really hard to see if this was confirmed or if anybody else has like mentioned talked about this, but like Max is Marty McFly, he, to, down to some details about him that are spot on. For example, Max skateboards. Max yeah. has an electric guitar in his room. There's a symbol on his door that looks very much like a flux capacitor on his bedroom door. Yeah. His dad is a big dork who gets picked on and bullied by a beefy guy who he considers to be his friend. All the way down to even the colors that Max wears, red jacket, blue jeans. Wow. Which is what Marty McFly, the colors that Marty McFly wears. Yeah. Like Max is, is Marty McFly, Max is Marty McFly. The same, the same archetype. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I, I I have trouble. I would have trouble believing that the, that he wasn't in Max's look and his whole like teenager vibe was not inspired by Marty McFly. It's just too. It's just there's just too many similarities. Yeah. Um. But you talked about how you think this film like inspired me. I'm literally wearing a hoodie right now, like a color, a, like solid colored hoodie. Like I'm very much backwards cap and. And baggy yeah. jeans and tennis shoes. Like, that is my style to a T. I've never realized how much I've been influenced by this kind of, like, vibe that Max has. Yeah, your entire fashion is based off of Max. Yeah. Like all, you, you, all of your clothes are, are like, clothes Max would wear. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> I realized that after watching it, too, and too. PJ wears with those shorts. And I, I think some people would say I was, I was more of a PJ with the shorts, but, yeah. But totally, Max is. No, you're, I think you're more of a Max. Yeah. But Max is totally my vibe. It's just the shorts. Well, who doesn't love good gym shorts? Always, even when it's if cold. If Max had the chance, I'm sure he would wear shorts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for me, I kind of, as far as like, I kind of fall more on, as far as my interpretation goes, fall a little bit more closer to like where Sarah's at, and it, but it, it, a little bit broader. In that, if that makes sense. And it's this idea of, and Sarah mentioned this a little bit earlier, this idea of identity, who you, who you think you are and who you want to be seen as you want people to see you for you. Right. 
and it hurts when people don't see you as that or when people refuse to acknowledge you. And so for me, this film is all about wanting to be seen for who you are. And that I think goes for Goofy and it goes for Max because Goofy is just trying to, you know, show Max how much he loves him, how much he cares about him. And Max is just annoyed and upset. And the more Goofy tries, he just gets angrier and angrier. And Goofy is like, why doesn't he see that? I'm just trying to show him how much I love him and how much I care about him. And then Max on the other side is why can't he see that all these other things are important to me? He's ignoring and not seeing any of that. You know, they throughout the whole movie, Goofy's like, I'm going to take you on this trip. And Max is like, don't want to go. I'm trying to tell you something. And Goofy can't hear it. You know, he doesn't hear it. He doesn't hear any of it. It's it's so interesting. And what's, I think, really cool about this movie and this being a great first musical that we've done, musicals are so good at helping to highlight themes because so much comes out in the songs. So much comes out in the actual music. Yeah. Um, and as we go through the movie, like, I'll touch on, like, the first two songs are all about being seen. You know, after, you know, in After Today, it's, it's um, you know, they've been laughing since I can remember, but they're not going to laugh anymore. She looks right through me. I need a new me, plus a positive proof that I'm not just a goof. Um, you know, that idea of, like, I'm trying to show who, the people who I am and give them a different perspective of me. And then, obviously, Stand Out is all about, like, I need to step up and sh- and like show who I am so people see me, right? You know, you gotta uh, stand out. I have some of the lyrics written out here. Um, it's very risky business in that way, right? You have to step up. You have yeah. to take a risk. Um, I did think about that after uh, as we watched this. That like mm-hmm. this is proof that taking risks can be good. You yes. know, like well, he got in yeah. trouble, but that trouble ended up leading but, to him growing. Yeah. Um, I mean, Roxanne is debatably the second hottest cartoon character to ever exist <laughs> behind jessica like, rabbit <laughs> yeah behind jessica rabbit roxanne's like, very pretty she's I, we were talking about at work yesterday she's pretty like ian my guys i work with well, ian's been on here mm-hmm. ian was like dude roxanne is smoking like roxanne there's just, roxanne there's just no denying, like <laughs> man but i don't know i might put lola bunny up there Oh, uh, that she was brought. She was brought up. Well, you can't, how can you not? Up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Roxanne has a very nineties. She does. She has she that has big hair. kind of like like long hair. She's got yeah. She's got a really. She's got like the girl next door vibe that like I think is like was huge in the nineties and early two thousands. That girl next door vibe, mm-hmm. she, and she's great. And the voice actress plays her so well too. Um. But yeah, you're right. Like stand out is like it's like all I need is half a chance, a second thought, a second glance to prove I got what it takes. You know, I'm gonna stand out above the crowd. You know, it's all about being seen. Um, and then even all the way to the end song, it's I, you know, eye to eye, right? You know, I need you to level with me, and we need to see eye to eye by listening to each other. You know, the whole line is, you know, you know, if we listen to each other's heart, we'll find we're never too far apart. It's all about if we see each other, if we level with each other, we're, we're going to be able to understand each other. Right. Which is a beautiful thought. It's not always the case. <laughs> you know, sometimes you yeah. might never understand somebody, but in, in the case of when it's somebody you love, you know, somebody that's important to you, you, you gotta, you gotta see them for who they are or else you're just going to push them away. You're going to, you're going to have problems. And we see that throughout this whole movie. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, and, and it makes me, like I said, there was some, there's something about this movie that makes me uncomfortable as I'm watching it because like Max does not want to be there the whole time. And it's just this negative energy. And like, I, I was saying to Sarah, when we were watching, I was like, I remember that feeling, you know, like I remember being a kid and your parents making you go somewhere you don't want to go. And you're just absolutely miserable the whole time, you know, like you're just like on the verge of tears because you just want to be at home, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, I don't want to drive three hours to go find like some trees, you know, they they had to take you, they couldn't leave you anywhere. They have a babysitter, you know, but like, I just like, just being in the car in the back seat with my sister and just being like, all I want to do is watch my TV show, you know, like, it's just like, it's a very visceral feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. and this movie definitely makes me feel that same feeling the whole time. It brings you back. eh? you're, so you're the max. Oh yeah. And your dad, your dad is kind of a goofy. I can see your dad is a goofy. Like my in the best, in the best sense of the word, your dad is totally a goofy. Yeah. I mean, and my dad, I, I would say I've, I've changed my opinion on this, but growing up, I never, my dad never thought, I've never, I thought my dad did not care what people thought about him. You know, like mm. he was very like free, you know, he did what he wants and doesn't care about other people's opinions where me, I have always been hyper social anxiety and uh i wanted to be cool you know Mm -hmm. but i wasn't i was never cool so i I relate to max in that way and so like maybe maybe that's why i never liked this movie is because it was honestly hitting on stuff that was a little too a little too painful a little too Mm -hmm. painful for what i what i uh my expectations for the film you know Mm -hmm. this film was too honest for you yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this film doesn't it dress like, it up. It it lays it bare. Yeah, it really does. Too on the nose. It was yeah. too on the nose for me. Like, uh, and the plot's so simple, and so it's like it's just all of that teenage mm-hmm. angst and vulnerability, and like, and like the end. It's like they connect, and it's so sweet. It's like a little. It, for me, it was just too. Ooh, it just made me feel ooh. <laughs> It, it hit a nerve, huh? Yeah, yeah. A good, yeah, yeah. a good nerve. Like when those, like it, it hit a vulnerable spot in a in a good way. Like this reminds me of like risky business from last week. The risky business did yeah. that to me in a good way. Yeah, where it it, yeah. it struck something very viscerally that I personally struggle with a lot. And like I even texted you a couple of days later. I was like, oh my gosh, man! Like that risky business caused my demons to come out to play in my dreams, like the last couple of nights, like working through some like unresolved trauma and things like that. <laughs> when uh, you texted me that, I was like, what did you go do, Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> I started a brothel in my apartment. <laughs> I, I was like, he texted, he texted me that his demons came out after watching risky business. And I was like, what, what did you get into, man? No, just like subconsciously they came out. Um, <laughs> But uh, what about you, Sarah? Were there some moments growing up where you related to like kind of Max where like you had those moments of contention, maybe either with your dad or with your mom or, you know, or any family member where you just kind of were like there, I wish they would just leave me alone. I wish they would just see, see me and like they're trying to pull me along and I'm just not into it. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I had those moments both with my with both my parents at certain times. And I also kind of relate to the the Roxanne and her dad relationship in a weird way. My dad's not like that like what you with my daughter you <laughs> type of guy. But he is kind of like this big dog. Is your dad intimidating? Who, I've never met him. He's no, not intimidating. He's not in like a physical sense, but he's very, very smart. Is he? Like, oh, so he's intellectually intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. But I mean, and it's this, not just that. It's also like he does have there. There are, we do have a relationship that's similar to Roxanne mm. and her dad, where like I'm like, okay, daddy, come on, good, good, good daddy. boy, good daddy. That phrase daddy. has changed. So much since this movie came out, I was like, I wish they would have, they would have known what was going to happen to that phrase. Oh God, <laughs> it did make me uncomfortable when she says that. It's weird, <laughs> but yes, go ahead, Sarah, continue. Well, this it's just that that I, I see her being like, kind of patting him, mm. and I can see myself doing that to my dad. Like, it's okay, mm. like. Good, good boy. You did this. You thanks, did it right. Thanks for being protective, Dad. Now you can go. Like, let me do my thing. Yeah. Um, so, in a weird way, I, I do have that. And I, I've had it since I was, like, in high school. Mm-hmm. That sort of weird relationship where it's, like, I'm always, like, kind of having to, like, also control him in a weird way. Even though he's not, like, aggressive in that way but he has like some unpredictable things I, about him that i think that i'm always kind of like reining him back i think that's evidence i think that's i think this is what you're talking about is and kind of what i'm highlighting what i'm talking about is the relationships are different with sons and fathers than they are with daughters and fathers and so like i think the you know the good daddy you know is kind of like that's what your relationship with your dad as a woman or as a, as a daughter, I would say, uh, turns into as you go, you know, like the, the, the more I'm going yeah. to shield and protect you. It's like, okay, thank you for that. But like, I don't need that. Thank you. You know, yeah, you, it, you end up managing them. Like the daughter ends up managing the father's emotions. Like, like, okay, I know my dad's going to be like this, so I'm not going to put him in this scenario, you know? So like, it's like, it's a different, I don't know. It's a different kind of like you still love them. It's not that you don't, but you know, like it's more accepting. I think on the on, on a daughter's part because they're like, okay, I accept that this is how you are, and so I will manage accordingly to do what I need to do. But I'll, I'll, you know, you know what I mean. Do you get what I'm saying? No. I get what you're saying. <laughs> okay. But again, I'm not a daughter, so I don't I, I yeah, understand yeah, yeah. what you're trying to say, but I don't know from first hand experience if that's yeah. true or not. Um but I do know I mean I think it depends Go ahead, Sarah. It's on a personal level, like everybody's gonna be That's different. true. And I think this also goes for like I know we're talking about like the universality of this movie and how we all can relate to it. But I, I there are people who don't have these types of relationship with their, their parents and I and I Yeah. And so they may not just connect with this movie that way. And I think that's why it's like, as much as this is like father-son stuff, you, this idea of like seeing people, your loved ones for who they are, accepting them for who they are, can be can be universal. It can work for any relationship. It can be friends. It can be, 
you know, foster parents, it can be anybody, coworkers, it can be anything. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, well, there's also the, the highlight is the father son thing. Yeah, there's also this moment when uh, uh, Pete and PJ arrive and they're like fancy RV. Yeah. And Max goes in to find PJ and PJ's like dancing like while he cleans and being like goofy. And Max says like, oh, what a goof. But it's like he's saying it with love mm-hmm. and he's saying it with like admiration. Yeah, almost. friends accept friends in that way. You're right. Like PJ accepts max for who he is max and pj except just accept bobby for the weirdo that he is they just do that's what friends kind of just do that yeah. naturally and that's why friends like yeah. are able to like relate to each other in such that way but like it's way harder to do that with your parents it's way harder to do that with your coworkers. it's way harder to do that with your somebody it's, it's sometimes it's a status thing it's like it's somebody who has a status over you or under you um and and we do see like differences in parenting styles and things like that. Um, for me but, and my dad, oh, go ahead, Seth. No, no, I'm just saying like Pete and his dad is the extreme of what we're talking about, yeah. right? Like, like they, under your thumb, you right? Know, they like, actually refuse to even try and acknowledge each other as anything yeah. other than father son. Like Pete yeah. even says like, "Oh, you're getting buddy buddy with your kid." Like, like why yeah. would you do that? Something's and, and wrong. That's what, and that's yeah. kind of what I'm what I'm trying to get at with like the father son, like dynamic is like, you create these shells of like, of the expected relationship. You know what I mean? You create these like, Oh, this is how we're supposed to be. You're the father. I'm the son. And these are the behaviors that we are supposed to. It's not, it becomes inhuman. If you like lean into it too much, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a friendship. It's not a human relationship. It's, it's playing a role. Mm Mm-hmm. And I took, yes, I totally agree with you. So for me and my dad in particular, I've never had this moment that Max goes through as far as like, and Max and Goofy go through as far as like me and my dad not wanting to spend time together. Cause me and my dad have so many interests in common, particularly movies and, and music in particular. So like, as I grew up, I became more and more interested in things that he also really liked. So we actually became closer as I got older, as opposed to, as opposed to, wanting to be more separate which is weird and different i mean we had our we definitely i'm a stubborn person he's a stubborn person and so like whenever he would try to tell me something i would also be like no i'm not gonna listen to you and so like we butted heads in that way but as far as like wanting to spend time with each other and like being interested in the same things we never went through this like phase of like trying to push each other away in this way you know or like him feeling like i'm drifting away and him trying to like hold on in that way it just never happened like that um but I will say, like, they're, they're, I more experienced that this thing of, like, Max goes through. So as far as for me in this movie, like, the father-son things, I totally understand and I get. But it just wasn't my experience of life. My experience was I got closer to my dad as I got older, uh, even, like, through high school and college, um, which is the opposite of what happens to Max. Like, you know, he drifted yeah. apart, and then they reconnect. But I never had that. It just was a continual coming closer together over time. Um. For me, I definitely saw myself in Max in the way that he's acting out to show others that he's cool. Like you, you talked about, like Max wants to be cool. You wanted to be cool when you were growing up, and yeah. and for me, like it, it kind of to get really personal, honestly. In this, in this one, I struggled so much growing up with like wanting to be accepted, 
I, I yeah. always felt I was on the outside. I felt like I was, you know, I, I grew up in a very small community. I, you know, my family was one of the only like Latino families in the whole area. So like I was already kind of different just by, by the fact of who I was, but then also like I was chubby growing up. And so like, I was one of the only like chubby kids in the class, especially with like all the other guys in the class who are all very like skinny, like athletic guys. So I was like the only chubby, chubby guy in the whole class growing up. So like you become a target. And so the only way to like, you work really, really hard to then be accepted. And Seth, something that you say you admire about me all the time, this idea of like, I am who I am kind of thing. I had that as a kid, but like subconsciously, it wasn't that I like, I'm like, I know who I am and this is who I am type of thing. It was, I was physically incapable of ever behaving differently. Like I couldn't make myself act cooler. I couldn't, couldn't do it. So the only way I could like gain cool points is by doing stuff, Yeah. you know? And so like that manifested itself in before high school as I would lie, I would straight up tell lies about, I would make up stories about myself and tell them to my friends. And like, you know, when you think as a creator, you think about, Oh, like when I, if I ever get really successful and famous, what are my hometown friends, people that knew me growing up going to say about me? Oh, I knew him back when we were kids. He used to do this. He was weird or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I'm something that they would probably say is he used to just make up straight up lies and tell us these things. Um, Like one of them that's really embarrassing that I'm going to share. This is the first time I've shared this actually probably in like, gosh, in a long time. Uh, And about like maybe like between seventh and eighth grade, I made up a girlfriend that I had over the summer (laughs) that I had over the summer. I came back from, from the summer between seventh and eighth grade and people used to tease me all the time. And like, you know, like at that point, like girls are important to you. That's like the very early point at like girls, like you wanting to like date girls and girls being important. Like your hormones are like just starting to hit like seventh and eighth. Um, and so, like, all those these guys, like, in my class were all, like, very much, like, more popular with the girls and stuff like that. And and they would tease me all the time because none of the girls were very much interested in me. Um, and so, like, I made up – I used to play soccer in an, a, in a league out of town. So – and everybody knew that about me. I'd been in this league since I was little. So everybody knew. Ricky plays soccer out of town. Everybody knows that. So I made up a girl that I had met in this other town uh, that then I hung out with over the summer. Um, and, and you know what? Classic. I know it's, it's really embarrassing and sad. I'm sorry. Like I, I'm a little bit triggered talking about it. It's (laughs) tough. I've never actually brought this up before. So this is actually legit, like real. Um, yeah. And so for like maybe the first couple of months of school, I would like talk about, oh yeah. Like, I mean, me and me and this girl, I remember her name, but I don't want to say it. Cause that's how embarrassing. No, no. We see, we had broken up after the summer. It was a summer fling. It was like Greece. Oh, it was summer loving. Gotcha. <laughs> but so gotcha. I'm for the first couple of months, I like pretended like I, I dated this girl over the summer. And then I told one of them, I like admitted as because I, I just not like really good at lying. So like I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so I told one of them, I was like, yeah, I, I made that up. And then he told everybody else and it was over after yeah. that. Like and there's a few other stories that I just won't go into. But like I would do this a lot where I would try and make my life seem more interesting because like that was like my only play at like being cool and then eventually like when telling stories people stopped believing me when i tell stories um it eventually became i became the kid that would do anything but for a dare 
in high school. Yeah. And freshman and sophomore yeah. year, I was, I was, hey, like, r- dare Ricky to do something. He'll do it. Um, fr- and I did things like I played football freshman year. We found a mouthpiece on the ground that was like in the dirt. And I put, I was there to put it in my mouth and wear it for practice. And I did that. I ate a, I ate more than a few worms. I, uh, I, did the truffle shuffle in front of the entire football stadium. It's on YouTube, actually. You can actually find this. It's still on YouTube. Oh, dude. Yeah. And, like, what's crazy is, like, the high you get after doing that. Like, there's an adrenaline high to doing something you're not supposed to do. So you feel, like, actually, like, euphoric in a way after doing things like yeah. that. But then you're also, like, the center of attention for, like, the next few minutes to an hour to a little while after that where everybody just wants to like talk to you. Everybody talks about what you just did and how crazy that was. I can't believe you did that. Like you become cool. You become the center of attention for a little while. And I was addicted to that for a very long time. So like I did some you, bad shit, are you, man. Are you not still maybe a little addicted to that? Well, there, there's an argument to be made about acting and stuff, but I don't think I, yeah. I don't think people will nowadays this is what you talk about where you like Ricky won't do something if he doesn't want to do something. This is like the 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 backlash to what I used to do, yeah. right? At a certain yeah. point in high school, I was like, I'm not why am I doing this? Um, you know, I don't want to do you this gained, kind of crap anymore. You've gained more self-respect. Yes. But you still want the attention. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So like I won't do things just to get attention anymore. Like of course I want attention. Like who what actor doesn't want attention? We all kind of want attention. But like I refuse to just do something just for a little bit of attention anymore because of I used to do that a lot. But that's what Max is doing. Max is wants to, despite any kind of consequences, he just wants to to be cool. He wants someone, one person in particular, he wants them to think he's cool. And he's willing to do just about anything to, for that. What he does at the school is way cooler than going to see Powerline. Uh, yeah. Like- uh, well, I was just going to say this. I was just going to say, like, do you think that would have worked at your school? Do you think – if somebody had done that in your high school, do you think that would have made them cool? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if successfully, like the fact that mm-hmm. he pulled it off, like, and the was a dance and everything was super talented. Yeah. Like it would totally have worked. Yeah. It, uh, Especially it was, if it, as right. an act of like defiance, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it being like a way, like, shutting down the principal and then taking over that's badass you know like so that's that's a bad boy thing to do now if he had just done it like set it up to make it happen mm-hmm. without being defiance then i think he would have gotten made fun of mm-hmm. like if you're if you're earnest and vulnerable like that for no reason people don't like it but if you're mm-hmm. doing it if you're doing it as a way to be like gotcha gotcha principal Mm. like people do like that you know yeah that is cool. yeah if he had come up and been like this is for roxanne <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah oh god a dance. i've done stuff like that too man oh, i have done that i have done my my childhood trauma in that regard is just like i would fall in love with these girls and i would find some huge ro- major romantic gesture to do and then do it and then be rejected and embarrassed Very for the rest of the year. Crazy, stupid love type yeah. thing. No, yeah, I've yeah. definitely done those. I, I think at my school, I don't know if it would have worked in that way because weirdly enough in my high school, 
the cool kids were friends with the principal. Like you were cool if you were cool with the principal. Like like yeah. if you were could be buddy buddy with the principal, you that was cool. All the cool kids were like friends with the principal in a weird way. At least it was when I went to school. I know my brother when he went to high school a few years after me, they had a new principal and it was the opposite. Like it would have worked probably better then because no one really liked that principal at that time. But the principal that I had, people liked a lot. And so like if you were cool with with Hack, uh, Hackenworth or something like that. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, but anyway, I think we called him Hack. If you were cool with Hack, you were, you were, you were cool. Um, but yeah, like my, for me, like it, like the, the attention seeking and like the do anything for, for attention became like performing, you know, performing, getting your attention legit in a legit way. Like I became like the mascot my senior year and got like that attention and that admiration that way in a more legitimate fashion. And same with like acting, yeah. it's, it's a more legit way of doing that. Um, but you know, like you said, like Goofy, if he just act, you know, he gets a call from this principal. Speaking of which, did you guys see the the paddles that he has in his office? No, I did not notice that. He has like, no, I've like, never noticed. You that. know how like in frat movies and stuff, they have like the paddle that they would like beat pledges with. He has a bunch of those in his office, and some of them have like spikes on them and shit. Like, I mean, that used to be a thing. Oh, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Principal Mazer's a freaking sadist. Like, that used to be a thing. Like, like just before our generation, like Gen X's, uh, they they got spanked in school. Yeah. You know, you got sent to the principal's office, you got paddled. Like, that's yeah. that's real. Um, But, so, yeah, so Mazer gives, gives Goofy a call and, like, Completely blows this thing out of proportion for no reason about like your your son dressed up in gangster clothes incited a yeah. riot. <laughs> you know he's gonna end up in the electric chair. Like oh my god, what is this guy's problem? Yeah, yeah. this is a whole uh, but a really really horrible his, principal. His ego yeah. Was what a, yeah, what a jerk. But anyway, so like yeah, Goofy, just talk to your kid. You know, and you you you. I think what's really really cool is that there there's a pair of like there's a pair of songs that kind of mirror each other in this movie and they happen like at like really cool like inflection points in this film and it's it's on the open road happens when we're going into the second act um and what's cool about on the open road is Max and Goofy are never singing at the same time they're always going either going back and forth or they're literally almost like talking in like over the top of each other but they're never saying anything that's connected to each other they're always like talking about their own thing so it shows how disconnected they are right um that's a, a musical term called prosody um where the, the actual way the music is written demonstrates the thematic of it so this idea of like it's written so they're they're talking over each other they're not listening to each other they're talking about different things they're just in different on different pages and then we see an inflection heading into the third act is the nobody else but you when they're uh, floating down the river on a car that floats. Yeah. <laughs> I said that too. A car that floats. Uh, but, but put that aside for now. <laughs> they're, they, most of that song, they're singing in unison, right? It's They are on the same page now. They've grown. They've come to an understanding of each other. And now they're singing in unison together throughout most, throughout most of that song. So... I love the the like I said the prosody of like this idea of the thematic of where we're separate and then over time we come together. Um, 
And speaking of which, we haven't even touched on that moment of like the whole when they're on the river and they're crashing and they're having this big blowout. Um, and there's this idea of like, I'm going up, like I, I just need my own, I have my own life. You, like you, you don't see that. And he's like, no, I do see that. But I, but don't you see that? I'm just trying to like be your dad and I'm just trying to be in that life. Like I want, I just trying to carve yeah. out a, a space for myself, but you, you never, you just, I don't know how to do that. Cause you won't let me. Right. I just want to be a part of your life. Right. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to consume it. I just want to be in it. You know, that's what, that's the line that hits me hardest when I think about my dad, you mm-hmm. know, uh, this movie really, really honestly, like it hits me in the, the I, I don't even want to think about it. You know what I mean? Aww. Like, cause like, cause like I, it, it, it makes me feel weird. This movie makes me feel weird. Cause it make it really reflects. I, I feel really reflect like it really reflects my relationship with my dad, you know, mm-hmm. and not knowing how to like bridge the gap, you know, I'm, I'm artsy fartsy and a thinker. And he's like, he, it's not like he doesn't, he's not intelligent, but he doesn't have, he doesn't worry about stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like he just is. And, uh, he's a doer, you know, like, he's always working on a project and Mm -hmm. you know so like i i really relate and have feelings about that conversation at the end of the movie when Mm -hmm. because i know that's how my dad feels you know Mm -hmm. i know my dad just wants to be a part of my life but i don't know how to like like we're supposed to go my dad wants to like has has me to go on a trip with him like (laughs) this year he's like we're, i want to go on a road trip and i'm like uh like, like i know i'm supposed to want to you know and i do part of me does but at the same time i'm like i don't know how like what are we gonna because like his idea of fun is totally different mm-hmm. than my idea of fun yeah so uh so like i think i think what we're gonna do is go to austin texas um, because like, there's like manly outdoorsy things we could do and there's a comedy scene there. So maybe my dad could actually watch me do some comedy, which he's, they've ne- my parents have never seen me do. So. Oh, that would be so nice. That'd be yeah. so nice. Yeah. That's nice. Again, I- I've never had that issue. Cause me and my dad both love music. We both love stand up. We both love movies. So like we can like, you know, we can sit in the car for hours, just like trading the iPod back and forth put up what do you think of this song what do you think of that song and like we could do that for forever like my dad when my dad thing my dad loves the most is like when i come home he's like got any new songs that i should listen to and like i throw you know i have a i usually have a whole playlist of songs that or that from the last time i've seen him like oh dad would like this song dad would like that song and he loves to like let me like put on stuff and see how what he thinks about him and stuff like that um but uh hey sarah what's the what's the worst thing you've ever done to make yourself look cool Uh, I don't know. I, I do want to say, I'll think about that for a second, but I do want to say to relate, to, to go back to that. Um, and like what you were saying is you were working really hard to appear cool and to be cool. Yeah. And like Seth way too hard. Has done the same. People that knew me from my hometown probably are like, he just wants to be an actor just so he gets more attention and they're not fully wrong. <laughs> Well, I would argue that everybody, even the people who are 
popular are working really hard to be and maintain that, you know, Mm -hmm. like that girl in the goofy movie that like pretty girl with like the shoulders. He's like, Oh, who's that? Who's that guy? (laughs) I would argue she spends like at least an hour before school, if not more like working on her face and her hair and making sure she looks like just right. Mm -hmm. And spends hours at the mall. Like she says, I'm going to live at the mall, like, to have that effect, Mm -hmm. you know? And that athlete guy is also working really hard. And, like, they're all all putting in a lot of effort into having that persona that they've, like, put forth. So you're saying I spent too much time doing – I should have spent my time in other ways. I just was putting my time in in the wrong place is what you're saying. Well – I think what makes someone like really cool, like ultimate cool Mm -hmm. that transcends like popularity and social and whatever Mm -hmm. is actually authenticity, finding a way to not care Mm -hmm. authenticity and finding a way to not care what others might think of you. Because if like I did care and, high school i'm not sure if i have something that i did that was like to make me cooler Mm. specifically at least not that i can think of but like i did care Mm. and it wasn't until i was like stopped caring that much that i all of a sudden it felt like i transcended that and i was just like my own person Mm -hmm. you know so sarah was the cool one seth we of us three sarah was the cool one and oh sarah was sarah's still the cool one yeah, of like, us three. Yeah, Sarah's like the one. Sarah. I, like, I, I have learned more social graces being with Sarah than I have in my whole life. Like, Sarah is in terms of like knows how to move through a room better than anybody I know. Like, she can't like she she can hang. Sarah can always hang uh, with anybody, which is really fascinating. Well, I. I mostly just try to listen to others and like hear what they want to say and like pay attention to them too. And I think that's something that people want and like, Mm -hmm. it's just being heard and seen. And, uh, yeah, do that while being yourself. Mm -hmm. You you set the world in motion by reaching out for each other's hands as power lines. (laughs) And we do see a couple of really great moments in this movie of like, olive branching right uh one of the i think the first the first big one because it's all about for the first half of the trip it's goofy's reliving his relationship with his dad because him and his dad were super duper close they're very similar types of people honestly i'm probably my relationship with my dad is probably the relationship that was similar with goofy and his dad where they were just very similar and they enjoyed stuff similarly where maybe my son is going to be completely different than me type of thing but it's goofy choosing these activities that max cannot connect to and and then we and then we see him hand over the reins to Max and say, you know what, I trust you, you pick what we do. And we see Max doing then things that he likes to do that Goofy can't is tolerating, but he's not enjoying. And Max notices yeah. that. And then Max starts choosing activities that they both can enjoy together. And the first time we see a moment like that is the the high dad suit moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. where they get trapped in their car by Bigfoot. And Goofy talks about their, this moment um, where he used to make alphabet soup for Max and Max would spell out these like sweet little messages to him. 
like I love you and hi dad and things like that. Um, and we see this like touch max of like how much like Goofy like loves him and, and how their relationship has become strained. Um, and Max gives him a little, a, just a slight olive branch by writing out hi dad in his soup and handing it over to Goofy. And after that, like things change for them, you know, like there's a, a reaching out for each other's hand. There's an olive branch that's, that's lent. And then Goofy does the same thing in return by letting Max be the navigator. And it's this like gradual, like just reaching out for each other and being like, okay, you know what, here, I'm going to try and understand you. Um, and things get better from there. Um, yeah. but it's an, it's a roller coaster ride. It's up, you have your ups and downs. Um, but I think, Seeing eye to eye is all of what this movie really is about for me. It's like finding ways to connect with somebody. Like Sarah was saying, listening to people. Everybody likes to be heard. Everybody likes to be listened to. Finding a, something to reach out to somebody and level with them is a great way to build a bond and a relationship and to connect with each other, which I think is this movie is Goofy and Max aren't connecting in the beginning and they are connecting at the end, um, which is great. You know, I think there's a, a, I, there's a missed tag at the end of this movie that I really wish was there. Um, so you know, you know when Goofy like goes through the the roof of mm-hmm. the house, you know, and then mm-hmm. he's like, "This is my dad, Goofy." What I what I wanted to happen is I wanted Roxanne to go, "Your dad's Goofy," <laughs> <laughs> like like. What your dad is the goofy like he's your dad's a celebrity you know yeah. like like he knows Mickey Mouse Donald Duck's his best <laughs> yeah, friend yeah 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 well that's like, you, so. you do get into some like logistics of like because Walt Disney exists they mention Walt Disney yeah, yeah so like yeah so what is Goofy like an actor then that like now is like a photographer <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, was so he an actor in his I, youth I don't know. I think it's missed a missed opportunity because like there, there, there is a layer. If, if, if Max's dad is a celebrity mm-hmm. and he got the celebrity this way, it's like even more of an incentive for him to be different. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know. I just think it's a missed. <laughs> that would have been very funny. If, if Roxanne's like, your dad, what? You're the goofy. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. my name is Max goof. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I just didn't realize. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think that's a great tag, a great joke at the end of this as we are are running a little short on time here. But Sarah, thank you so much for jumping in with us uh, and talking to Goofy Movie. I know it's one of your favorites and it's one of my favorites. So it was great to, to see eye to eye and level with you uh, on this movie because I know it's one of my favorites too. So um, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to do a quick shout out to Lester's Possum Town. Possum Park. Lester's, Lester's Possum Park. Park. Lester's Possum Park. Bigfoot. Yes, what a shout out. A shout out to Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Oh, interesting and tidbit. Uh, the director of the film played the voice of like the, the big walking who's your favorite possum that's the director of the movie. i love that don't touch me <laughs> beat it doofus <laughs> it's great i always love that girl that toothless oh, yeah. girl yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah 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 
It's great. I think this movie is great. Uh, it's great. What a great movie. Uh, Lester's Possum Park. So, oh, also a fun tidbit about possums. What's the What's the thing everybody knows about possums? What's the one thing? They play possum. They play possum. They play dead, right? Guess what? They don't play dead. They legitimately – it's a reflex. When they – their blood pressure goes up when they get scared, they literally just pass out. It's not like something that they're pretending to do. They literally will just pass out. Wow. <laughs> so it's involuntary. <laughs> they just do it. It's like goats. You know those fainting goats? It's yeah. like that. Bassums <laughs> literally just pass out. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Sarah. Uh, well, you said you had one more thing. Well, the last thing, it's a moment that I just love is, I mean, for the listeners, they can't really see me, but when Goofy walks in on the opera singer, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, he just kind of like, yes. gets embarrassed. Face. And what's funny is, that's another favorite of mine. We see her early in the movie too, her and her husband. She, They're the two like married couple that's that they see driving in uh, on the open road. And we also see the nuns. I never realized. We see the nuns in the. I never realized that it's the yeah, same lady. Same lady, and her. I, I noticed the nuns, but I never realized yeah. that she was the opera. Singer. Yeah, and uh, she, like, it, her husband's a roadie. <laughs> you see him bringing the the instruments in that Goofy and Max are hiding in. Oh um, wow! Yeah, you see the nuns too. The you nuns are also in the store. They are in the Goofy's like store. You see them there too. The cat lady's there as well. Really weird. They just like the reuse characters. Crazy. <laughs> Um, they're awesome characters. They are great characters. I love that nun with the fillers, the lip fillers. Oh yeah, awesome. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. We're always glad to have you. I'm gonna make, I'm yeah. gonna make Seth watch Goofy movie too. Yeah, when Max goes to college. Yes, an extremely goofy movie. Hey, I love it. Directed video. They play in the X Games. Yeah, he's do. gonna love that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I've never seen it. So you've never seen an extremely goofy movie. I've never seen a very goofy movie. Bobby Bobby gets high <laughs> and, and has an existential crisis. <laughs> oh yeah, as soon as if you like as Bobby, soon as we're back next week. If you are a fan of Bobby in this movie, you'll love an extremely goofy movie because he becomes a, a more main character. Yeah, Bobby's my favorite <laughs> for sure. So we're gonna be we're gonna be watching it in the next week or two okay. for sure. You tell me what you think. Maybe we'll put it on. We'll we put it up as like a special episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Seth. It is your turn to pick what's next. Oh, uh, so I, I did want to ask. I have I have one loaded. If we're not going to do guests, did we say we were going to do guests soon? We, we had said that if we could get a guest next, we would totally do it. Well, I haven't. I told the guest I have in mind they needed two weeks to prep. So okay. I, I won't. Let's let's plan on. I'll just pick a movie this time and then I'll secure that guest for two weeks. And then, yeah, this is kind of, sorry, everybody, this is business stuff, but, uh, uh, so I, I have a movie locked and loaded. Um, Go for it. so let's, let's do that first. Um, okay. we're going to do fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Oh no. Why do you pick the weird stuff? Uh, I want to rewatch this I movie. I love this movie. I want to rewatch this movie because um, I've only seen it once. I was okay. really young. And um, afterwards, I got really bad food poisoning. So I don't really remember it. Because I, all I remember about it, the experience is the food poisoning. Oh, no. So, yeah, okay. I had to go to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital after I watched this movie. I didn't, I've never heard this story. Okay. 
Um, all right, everybody. So if you're watching along at home, we will be discussing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas next week. That is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is the 1998 film. Uh, if you're watching along, you can watch it on Vudu, Google Play, Movies, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and on YouTube. That's where you can find it if you're watching along, if you don't already have it. Uh, thank you so much to Sarah. Thank you to Seth for being here. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about a goofy movie. Um, this one been one of my favorite ones so far. So thank you guys. Uh, until you. next time, uh, Seth. For having oh, me Seth and Sarah. Uh, uh, shout yourselves out. Uh, where can people find you, follow you? What are you up to? Well, for me, it's uh, my Instagram for – I make earrings, but it's not populated yet, but it might be one Woo. day in the next few weeks. Uh, at Flicka, F-L-I-C-K-A, fiddle. So like flick a fiddle. Flick a fiddle. As in violin. Nice. So that's – you can find that, and maybe one day there will be – and a quick little uh, fun fact is – uh, the movie, not so much, but the book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, was a book I had when I was young, and I read it really young, and I read it multiple times, so it kind of shaped my worldview in many ways, so wow. I'm excited Maybe to Maybe we have to have Sarah on for next week, day. too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, yes, go check out. Uh, if you're looking for some awesome earrings, uh, go ahead and follow Flick a Fiddle. Flick a Fiddle. Yeah, thanks again. Of course. And I know this was impromptu, but I was I just couldn't pass an opportunity of to speak course. about Goofy Movie. We're happy to have you. Uh, Seth, uh, where can people find you, buddy? Uh, you can find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter. That's T-H-E-B-I-R-D-Y-W-O-R-D. I'm also uh, Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. Um, yeah, you can find my podcast, uh, The Crowcast, on Apple Music and Spotify. That's two words. The Crowcast. Crowcast is one word. Uh, C R O W E C A S T. Awesome. 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 Thank you, Seth. And I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me, my personal page is at Ricardo Blade Diaz on TikTok and Instagram. You can find our show, the What's It About Film Podcast. You can find our Instagram at What's It About Podcast on Instagram. Uh, and you can follow our episodes, uh, find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and if you want to find me and Seth on another show together, you can check out our Dungeons and Dragons show, Character Player. Uh, we are two players in a wonderful multiversal campaign that is Character Player, just like it sounds, two words. You can find that on Twitch, on YouTube, and you can also find podcast versions of our episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you just go ahead and search Character Player, you'll be able to find it. Thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you so much to Seth and Sarah. We will see you all again very, very soon. Adios. Bye.